Welcome to Learning with Lisa, Student Success Beyond Expectations podcast with Lisa Navarra, award-winning educator, consultant, behavior specialist, author, and parent. This podcast provides support for school leaders, educators, and parents. We share and discuss evidence-based resources that are embedded in social and emotional learning to meet the needs of students who struggle focusing and learning. Teachers and parents find information and strategies to improve students' academic, behavioral, and social-emotional performance. It's time to turn kids from I can't into I can. Welcome. Michelle and I are here to speak with you today about things that we're seeing in the classroom and at home. But basically, it's just going to be about teacher talk, backed by mom experience. You see, Michelle is a 17 year veteran of a special ed, being a special ed teacher in an ICT class, that's the integrated class. And uh, really she has a wealth of experience being also a mom that has one neurotypical child and one neurodiverse child. So her experiences really span both in the classroom and out of the classroom. But if you're a teacher now who is just shaking your head at the behaviors that you're seeing and the concerns that you're having for your students in a way that you've never experienced before, well, then this is really going to be that podcast for you because Michelle's going to talk to you about even how writing IEP goals this year has shifted. And yes, we are deep into IEP season right now. So you know what I'm talking about when I say those goals and really having to select the appropriate ones that are going to reflect your students in the way that they most need it. So next year's teacher is able to deliver the not only curriculum, but the social emotional support and the ability to teach children now how to self-regulate in a way that's never been before. So thank you so much for joining us, Michelle. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> you know what, just introduce us to you. Why did you take the time out of your very busy schedule to talk to the listeners today? Yeah, so I guess this kind of came out of, uh, my colleagues and I had an IEP writing day, you know, a couple weeks ago. And as we're collaborating on goals and talking about what we're seeing in the class, we started realizing we are moving each year farther away from thinking about skill, academic skill-based goals. Um, and this year in particular, it just seems like there's so many behavioral things that are just kind of getting in the way, you know, and, and we are really kind of finding ourselves, you know, having a hard time getting a handle on students' skill set because there are so many other, you know, little behaviors that are kind of creeping up, I guess you could say that, you know, we never really saw this magnitude in the past. Right. So, so it's important that we talk about this, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, because this is the reality of education and we need some help out there and we need to raise that awareness to say, hey, you know what, we need more support out there and having more mental health providers is just, it's important, but it's just not enough when we're talking about real time classroom instruction classroom management, it's mm -hmm. not, it's not always an emotional behavior, behavior that we're really seeing, characteristics that we're seeing, it's so much more. So we're 
work us through and walk us through your day of how it supports what you're saying in terms of the magnitude of what you're seeing. Yeah, so I'm in an integrated co-teaching class. So it is, you know, a typical gen ed classroom. I'm there as a special education teacher to support, um, you know, and like I said before, in years past, typically I would be there, you know, maybe to pull a small group and to build some foundational skills and to do work like that. Um, not to say that that's not still needed, but I am seeing more and more of, you know, this kind of executive functioning weaknesses creeping up and getting in the way, you know, so instead of starting my small group, we're working on, you know, being able to just launch and let's get started with the task and that task initiation of, let me just find my beginning. Um, you know, I, I, I'm seeing huge task initiation this year for my students being an issue. Um, you know, so we can't even dive into where's the breakdown in the academic skill. Right. Because here we are just working on let's launch, let's get started on that first thing, right. um, you know, and, and then there I am kind of bouncing, you know, bouncing here and finding a pencil and bringing this one back over, come, you know, come back to your seat over here. We're not going to go get a drink of water right now. Let's get started on something first, you know. Right. And you just um, mentioned three things that you see kids <laughs> avoiding starting their work. Yeah. Right. You got the pencil, you got the bathroom, you're trying to get them from out of their seat back to you know where they need to be. So once you get them sitting down at their place, then what? How how are you engaging them to begin? And what does that look like? Uh yeah. So you know, it's it's different for each one of my kids. And um, but I, I'm finding that for the most part, once we can break through that initial, you know, getting started with the task, I've got a good number of kids who from that point on are, you know, they're ready and they're tackling that sixth grade work. Um, but without me there for that redirection or to get them back on task, I don't know that they would be seeing that success. So what you're saying is they're lacking the independence of knowing that they're distracted or off task. Yes, that is a huge one. Yeah, um, some of my colleagues kind of joke that sometimes I'm almost like the little Jiminy Cricket on their shoulder, you know, <laughs> reminding them like, okay, well, where's your focus? Where should your focus be? Those little things, um, you know, that I, I see lacking in a lot of my students, not realizing that they're off task or realizing they're off task and then not knowing what to do to get back on task. Right, right. That cognitive flexibility that we've spoken about. Yeah, you know? yeah, you know, and it's, I don't know that it's necessarily um, a disability for all my students. I think that a lot of these, you know, these kids were still coming out of some pandemic years where, you know, a lot of these skills that are just naturally built into a classroom, a good chunk of our kids miss that classroom time, Right. right. you know, and they just, they lost that opportunity just to practice those skills and really hone them in. So have you found strategies that help you and help your students to be able to begin their work? Yeah, we, um, you know, I do a lot of kind of guiding questions. Like I, I had mentioned before, I, a big one for my students, I'll say, where's your focus? You know, as their little reminder, oh, yeah, that's right, I'm supposed to be over here. Um, you know, and then I think where you had mentioned before, the mom side of me comes in because you and I have been working together with my son, Anthony. Yes. Um, and so in us working together, I find that, you know, I started bringing a lot of those visuals into the classroom. Um, you know, so I'll, I'll bring some of those tools in with some of my students, you know, and, and drop a little launch button on their desk as that little reminder, oh, okay, I have to get back. 
Um, so that's really you know. cool. I should have that. You know, maybe I'll, I, I can have uh, that launch tool popped in here somehow so people can see. So what does that do? What does that visual do for some of your students? I think that visual to them is their, their cue, um, you know, that they need to, you know, get back on task or get back to what they were supposed to be doing or shift their focus, you know, from from something outside or, you know, wherever it may be to come back to task. Um, you know, sometimes it could be a little tap on the desk, but I find like that visual or just that little, you know, remind, like that questioning, where's your focus kind of, it helps to bring them back. And then it makes them a little more aware, yes. you know? So ideally, I mean, especially this time in the year in the spring, I hope that I can kind of scale some of those back a little bit more. So it could just be, maybe just me walking by their desk is enough of the remind, oh, okay, I need to get back on. Exactly. You know, ultimately to make them more independent. And do you feel like um, they, there has been growth from the beginning of the school year to, to the spring now? Yeah, I definitely have. I, I see a lot of growth in my students. Um, you know, I, I think it was pretty heavily reliant on me early on in the year, yes. you know, yes. whereas now I thought I can just kind of drop a visual down and, and go with that. And, you know, that can be enough for them or, you know, some of my students, I even made little mini toolkits that they kind of, you know, keep in their binder. And if, if, yeah. if it's a rough day, I'll say, you know what, why don't you take out two tools to help you get started so that you and I don't have to just be here together. You know, you can use those tools and be independent with yes. those tools. Yes. Yes. Oh my goodness. It's such a dream to hear. <laughs> go, go, Michelle. A tool inspiring action. So now let's talk about like the reality, right? So, um, and the intensity of what's been going on. Can you think about maybe before COVID and the growth that took place in areas of maybe lacking of independence, because I know those needs always change from year to year. We're talking about really significant needs in self-regulation mm -hmm. right now, but can you, we can all see growth from like September to April, the spring. Can you talk to us about the type of growth that we're seeing now compared to even before COVID? Yeah, um, you know, I think a lot more of the growth this year, what I'm noticing really is reliant on those executive functioning skills. You know, and like you said, not to say that those needs weren't there in the past. I'm just noticing a larger population is, you know, really struggling with those executive functioning skills. So I guess, you know, in years past, you would have a small handful of students who maybe needed some of that support or that coaching along the way. Um, you know, and I, I think now it really is a larger population of my students that I really need to tap into some coaching for their their executive functioning, whether that's their emotional regulation, um, right. you know, even being able to acknowledge the emotion that they're feeling at that particular moment and how that's leading to some other behaviors, you know, at a quick glance, you know, not all teachers can maybe see underneath those behaviors to like where that weakness really is. And so how has this greater need to support our students' ability to self-regulate impacted their ability to access the curriculum? You know, I, I think it just almost puts up a wall in front of them. Mm -hmm. You know, that emotional regulation piece that whether it's something that happened inside of school, something outside that they're kind of carrying with them for the day, being able to label it, you know, put, put a name to that emotion and then to be able to bring in some coping strategies. 
you know, um, I, I have a couple students in particular who are, have really been working through this this year, you know, and will come in and say, you know, I'm just, I'm really sad today. I'm, I'm really down today, you know? And so to acknowledge like, yeah, I hear you, you know, however, like we are still in school. So like you can feel that that's okay to do, but what are we going to do to move on to the next thing today instead of being kind of stuck in that, that moment? And what does that look like then? Are they able to get past it most of the time? Early on, no. <laughs> you know, I mean, in the True. fall, it, it was really tricky for a lot of a lot of my guys. Yeah. Um, at this point, you know, I think we've between myself and some of our mental health providers, kind of working. You know, they'll maybe try some strategies one on one with in their sessions. Let me know what's working. Oh, that's good. Okay. Yeah, carry them over, um, you know, and in middle school with sixth grade, we're all about trying to, you know, build some independence and give them choices, right. you know, so I'm not going to force you to go for a walk if that's not going to work for you. But, you know, here are three other things we can try. What's going to work for you today? You know, and, and helping them feel empowered to know, like, it's okay to feel the way that you're feeling. And what can you do to, you know, like I said, to kind of move yourself past it? Can you think of a specific time? that come that you can remember of a student, you know, who would get stuck earlier in the year, mm -hmm. not be able to learn academically because of it. And now uh, through the supports that you provide, so he or she can self-regulate, is now able to work through those feelings and then get to their work. Can you think of a time? Yeah, yeah, I can think of a student in particular who, you know, when the, a moment like that would occur for this particular student, I mean, the whole day was just gone. Mm. You know, it really was, it was just carrying from period to period and, and it would, you know, it would be gone. Um, but we've done a lot of extensive work, like I said, with the mental health team and practicing some coping strategies and helping to find words and, you know, just to help them know they've got a safe place they can go to kind of work through those emotions and things like that. Um, and that particular student now, when I think back, you know, she, she'll come in and maybe be having a day or having a morning and, you know, um, but I think we've built up enough of a rapport, her and I, that, you know, one, one silly cheesy joke, maybe, you know, <laughs> can kind of crack through a little bit, you know, where then I can kind of plant that seed, you know what, do me a favor, why don't you go take a quick walk, drop this off for me to so-and-so and then come on back and we're gonna get going for the day. Right. You know, whereas earlier in the fall, if I had tried that, um, I think she would have been pretty rooted exactly where she was, not right. ready to play, you know, but I think now just helping to send the message, it's okay to feel what you're feeling mm -hmm. takes, you know, take a little bit of time, but ultimately we have to move, we have to move through and we have to move past it because that's, you know, the reality of life. Right. So then talk to us too about where you are in the curriculum and your students' academic skills compared to before COVID? Yeah, um, I've got a pretty wide range this year, I have to say. You know, I, I have a wide range from those kids who are, you know, maybe just under grade level in sixth grade to I've got some kids who, you know, maybe are reading and writing a little closer to a second, even third grade level. So we've yeah. got quite the spectrum there um, for sure, you know, which can definitely be challenging. Mm -hmm. um, sure. You know, yeah, definitely can be, but I, you know, I think just in, in building this culture that, you know, my co-teacher and just my whole building, really this feeling of we're just striving for our personal best. Personal best, personal you best. Know, that's really right. That's what it's about. Yes. I mean, it's about personal best. And if you're, 
if you're working as hard as you can and you're new, you know that you're using all the resources that are available to you, you know, then, then where you are, that is your best. And that's great. And we celebrate that every chance we get, no matter what that looks like for everybody. Michelle, do you feel like education is shifting just a little bit, at least in terms of maybe not always looking specifically at the curriculum and the standards and are we meeting it and I can, but that those I can statements that reflect specific timely standards is what you need to be doing. This is the pacing chart now compared to a shift toward let me do my personal best, which incorporates using those strategies and resources to be able to meet me where I am and then be able to academically perform. Do you find a shift in that? And talk to us about that. Um, yeah, I, I definitely, I see a bit of a shift. You know, I think earlier on in my career, I can remember everything being so standard driven. Yeah. You know, I mean, being a, a new teacher and I can remember having the standards, you know, taped into my plan book and constantly looking and constantly checking, yes. you know, and it's, it's almost overwhelming because I think having that focus, you kind of lose sight of who's sitting in front of you. Yes. You know, and it's as a new teacher, it's a scary, overwhelming thing to think about because you think, well, that's what I have to be doing. Um, and I think just over the years and over, you know, just all of my different experience, it, you know, it's really more about helping these kids build skills that they are going to need for the rest of their life. Right. You know? Building those skills. And do you find more people understanding that now and they're practicing that yeah. to support the students in that way? I definitely do. Um, you know, and even on the parent communication side, you know, it's, we have sixth grade, which is the first grade in middle school. It's a yes. very scary experience for parents. My daughter's in fifth grade, so I'm a year away from it. And then it's, it's very nerve wracking. Um, yes. But I think being able to have communication with the parents and let them know, you know what, these skills are not going to be built overnight. And we always say, you know, middle school is a process, sixth or seventh or eighth, it all builds on each other. You know, so you can't look at it as one year in isolation, but this is a, a grouping of years and each year skills will be built on top of another and become more complex, you know, in their time and when they're ready to do it. I have to commend you because uh, I, you know, I, I've worked with a lot of um, even families and they'll tell me that, well, my, my child is having difficulty in middle school uh, just every day. And, and you know what, fifth grade actually included with everyday routines, they don't unpack or they're not bringing their supplies to school or they're not organized in the way that they need to be to be able to function adequately or effectively mm -hmm. throughout the school day. And when I either speak with the teacher or I speak with the parent who has spoken with the teacher, a lot of times we're still getting, well, I'm preparing the student to be independent. I can't baby them. I can't provide these you know, visuals because they need to know by now. Do you know mm -hmm. what I'm talking about? I totally do. Yeah, we have that conversation a lot in, in sixth grade with parents, you know. Um, I think students, you know, they think I'm in middle school. I'm an adult. I'm ready, <laughs> you know. Um, but, you know, I like to bring it back almost to teaching, you know, in our lessons when we are teaching a skill, that gradual release. You know, the modeling, then let's do it together. Okay, now do it independently. And, you know, I make suggestions like that to, to parents a lot, especially when their students are struggling with homework. Mm -hmm. You know, homework is always a big one. Well, you know, they want to do it independently. They don't want me to look at it. They don't want me to see it anymore. Um, you know, which is understandable and, and kind of that natural progression of the way that things can go. However, we can't go from 
doing homework together in elementary school. And then, all right, you're on your own in middle school. Good luck, you know? So I often suggest to parents, um, you know, let them be independent, let them work on their homework. Absolutely. But build that routine of a nightly check-in, you know, whether it's in some schools use that agenda pad, some schools use Google Classroom, wherever that homework is listed. Okay, it looks like you've got three things. Yeah, show me those three things you worked on. Okay, great. Um, you know, because I think just like some of these students need in the classroom, they need that little voice outside of the classroom too. Um, you know, to that little reminder to help build those executive functioning skills. Did you plan out what you're doing for the week? Did you make sure it's in your backpack? Um, not to do it for them, but you know, be that little that little Jiminy Cricket to help them right. along the way. <laughs> right. And so many kids who have ADHD even, they're three years behind socially. Yeah. Right. So if you have a sixth grader, we might be talking about behaviors with organization and be able to follow through as a third grader. Yeah. So how do we have the same expectations? You know, whether it be in the classroom or at home, that would be fair. We're not meeting them then. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, and not to say that we're going to lower standards for them. You know, if the expectation is you're doing homework, absolutely. But then let's get some support in place along the way. Right you know, to help them reach that same standard as their, as their peers. And just like you said, for those life skills, because those, those would be life skills as they yep. go on. What would you say, because you're so heavy into the, uh, as a sixth grade teacher, even middle school teacher, you're very heavy into using the visual tools to be able to support your students, but you've said it. You want to be able to step back so they can increase their independence. So it's not like, you know, you're not looking at big picture. You're saying if this is what you need, then these are the skills that will support you on visually and auditorily. Because like you said, you have the guided questions and you've got your proximity that you've mentioned supported by the visuals. What do you say to even a fifth grade teacher who hesitates being able to implement or use visuals because they truly do feel like well, I need to prepare them for sixth grade and that's a whole nother beast of its own. How do we, you know, expand their base of knowledge? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think being that elementary is such a different animal than, um, than middle school, you know, but because the students are with that one teacher all day and they have that comfortability, they have the routine down, that's the perfect time to try to work on some of these um, and try to work on scaling back a little bit, you know, knowing that it's a safe environment. Um, and not to say that it's, you know, okay, Monday morning, that's it, all the support stops. But, you know, gradually releasing that responsibility, maybe taking out a little bit here or there, um, you know, and, and working in those visuals is such a great reminder, you know, and, and explicitly teaching you know, we're going to be using this and here's what this tool is going to mean. And here's how it's going to help you. Yes. You know, I think be, being explicit and I feel like, you know, in, in working with you on the parent side with my son, I see yes. how, you know, just being explicit in what it is, what the purpose is, how it's going to help. It makes all the difference. It does. And I guess, you know, for the adult too, in terms of even the educator understanding the explicitness of the tools and how they help with the array of hope, like you've said, it doesn't have to be forever. Just right. you could still come to terms with, I'm doing my job, I'm supporting, 
in a way that now I understand on a deeper level, but I can also, like you said, scale back to be able to say, I have kind of watered and nurtured this student and now I'm going to be sending them off on into middle school, even like the next, you know, couple months. Yeah, exactly. It's a big deal. It is a big deal, right? Because we always want what's best for our students. But, you know, when we had one way of thinking, like this is the way, but now like we're talking about today, we've got so many more behaviors in the classroom and so many different needs that, or some of them are the same needs, but they're just more intense and they're more frequent and the duration is longer in terms of their, you know, behavior and their need to work through certain uh, needs in terms of self-regulation that we have to start adjusting the time allotted for this kind of support. Right. And, and to understand where those behaviors are coming from, yeah. you know, and, and when there's so many of them happening in a particular classroom, um, you know, I'm fortunate in the sense that it's myself and my co-teacher in there. So, you know, we're there to work as a team to support. Um, I have some colleagues who are just in gen ed classes who are still seeing yes. the same level oh. of behaviors, you know, so I, I guess to help them understand where it's coming from. And, and you know, it's not, it's not always a student trying to avoid work because they don't feel like doing it. But if right. you can peel back enough and see, you know, help them find an entry point or, or help just to refocus them back to tasks, you know, it's, it takes some time and it's not always easy, but I think if you can uncover where that behavior comes from and then explicitly show, here's what I can do to help you with that. Right, right. Here's my why for you and here's your why for yourself. Exactly. And, you know, and just as important, I think it is for us as educators to be talking with one another. I think, well, a couple of things. Personally, I think the way that we speak with one another about these challenges is really important because we can give into our own frustrations of, I just need to move on. They need <laughs> to know what they need to learn. You know, I, we've got to get there, you know, so it could be very yeah. frustrating. But I think when we have conversations with our colleagues that we come from, even if we're, we're feeling frustrated at that moment, that our colleagues step in in more of a supportive way to say, remember when this is the growth that we've seen, or yeah. have you tried this to support? And then for us to be able to work through our own worries and concerns for our students and being able to say, I'm going to try that. So I think that conversation could be helpful and supportive. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I definitely think so. Um, and I think like you were saying before, just the time to have those conversations yes. and the time to share that level of support. Um, you know, I've, I've been in the same building for almost 20 years now. So I've, I've been in several classrooms over the years, you know, and I'll have previous years co-teachers say, hey, remember we used that thing for that kid? Can you share that with me? Because right. I think someone else might need it. Yes. Um, you know, but I think, uh, gosh, I just, in an ideal world, if we had that time in our day to be able to sit and do that, you know, uh, would just be amazing. And, you know, I'm very fortunate that I have such great people in my building who, you know, when they're seeing something going on, will reach out and say, hey, can you come help me with this or share this? Right, right. You know, and like, I, I'm very fortunate in that. I know not every, you know, not every building or not every scenario is that way, but mm -hmm. luckily we are. So I'm going to say that even if we don't have that time built into our schedule, 
we're always talking at some point, whether it be during dismissal or lunch or before school, because when we feel so concerned about our students, they, it, it comes out at some point. Oh yeah, you'll talk to anybody and anybody that you think can help you out a hundred percent. Or listen or pretend to listen, anything. <laughs> yes, yes. Anything. So I think even during those times as a real kind of insider tip here is be aware of who you're talking to. Are they being supportive of you during mm -hmm. those times? Even if it's moments in time, because you need to feed your own soul, right? Yeah. And then also if you're on the opposite end and somebody is in your world and in the hallway, wherever it might be, and they're talking to you about a frustration or a concern, come in as that light who's positive and who's willing to share what's worked for you or something new that you've come across. So I think those moments, even though they're not structured and they're not 20 minutes, it's not 30 minutes of common planning or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm whatever contact we have, let's make it meaningful. Yeah, right? because ultimately we all want the same thing. You know, we're all there to help see our students really reach their full potential. Right, right. It's about keeping ourselves centered and helping us and helping each other to do that because that's really tough. Yeah. yeah. Especially when you have like the ELA and the math and kids are testing for like four hours. Yeah, yeah. And then lunch. That whole spring flies right by. It's gone. Yes. It Yes, yeah. you know, and then I also think that it's really important to talk to administration about your feelings too, about what's really going on in the classroom, because, and I know some administrators are more um, open to listening and some are really great with being supportive and some really understand it and some want to understand it more. And I think that the more our building level administrators understand our everyday concerns and the things that we're seeing, the more they can relay it to the leadership that makes those decisions that trickle down to the building level. What do you think? Yeah, yeah totally. And, and I think, you know, it really, it, it kind of come from the top down in a sense, oh. you know, that if administration is going to make that a priority, um, yeah. you know, or show that, that they see the value in it, really. Um, you know, and then from there stems, whether it be resources, whether it be some time just for people to get together and share some strategies um, or to kind of pick each other's brain about some different things like that, you know, or, or even just admin asking questions. Hey, I heard you've been using these things. Like what's going on with that? Let me see. Great. Yes. You know, I think that's been really wonderful too. Yes. Yeah, so that's that's such a great point, Michelle. Let's talk about the opposite end now. Let's administrators coming in and asking questions of what's working, right? Yeah. What's your biggest frustration? Um, and really having those real candid conversations. Yeah, and, and meaningful ones that, you know, are relevant to your classroom and your building and your culture yes. within your, your school. Yes. Now, does your school have PBIS? Uh, we do. Okay. Okay. We do. Yeah. Um, more, I would say more isolated to like the, the mental health side. Okay. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I know that some school districts and, and buildings are still rolling it out and they're still taking yeah. their, their, you know, their classes and, you know, everyone has their own interpretation of what works for them and, and, and whatnot. So um, that's always another way too to get certain trainings on behavior supports based on what the needs are, if, we are, if we're able to have that real collaborative relationship with our, in, in our administrators too. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I, I think my district, uh, it, the behavioral support can be challenging at times because we are such a small district. So, right. you know, some of our behavioral support staff is split between, you know, multiple buildings. So we don't always have someone there every day, right. um, which can be tricky. Yeah, you know, for sure. Uh, I mean, and they do a phenomenal job, but it's hard when there's not always that same person, you know, in the building that you can kind of reach out and grab if you need them at that moment. Sure, absolutely. You, 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 sometimes things arise quickly and you need that yeah. support. <laughs> yeah, and so does the student. Talk yeah. to us about those IEP goals. What kind of goals do you find yourself specifically writing now that might be different than what you've written in the past or maybe goals that you've written in the past, but not so often? Yeah, I think I'm noticing more and more our two areas that kind of keep creeping up um, are some more specific reading-based goals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're noticing a lot of that. I've noticed just volume of books and volume of reading has really gone down over the past couple of years, um, which, you know, impacts a lot of other academic areas aside from just English. Um, so I've noticed, you know, an increase in looking for that and looking for some targeted reading instruction. I've also noticed uh, our study skills goals section of the IEP has definitely been expanding over the past couple of years, this year in particular. And I think it really is all of those executive functioning skills that we were talking about, you know, being able to start a task with two or fewer prompts, Um, you know, things like that. Two or fewer. Yeah. I'll take the fewer. You know, but I I think those have been more often, those are the the types of goals that we're looking at. Um, Whereas I can think back to when I first started teaching and it was, you know, really heavy in the academic need section. And there was just, you know, academic need after academic need. And not to say that they're not still there, but I think a lot of these executive functioning, you know, deficits and then as a result behaviors are really overshadowing a lot of what we're seeing in the classroom. Right. I mean, you can't write a million goals and expect them all to be done next year. You have to prioritize. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and in talking with my colleagues and and thinking about kids, you know, for a lot of them, that's really what's getting in the way. Mm -hmm. Those executive functioning skills are really kind of halting everything else. You know, so like you said, when you're prioritizing, what do we need to work on first? We've got to target that first before we can get into anything else. So talking more broadly, Michelle, just not beyond your classroom, because I'm hearing and I'm seeing a lot of exactly what we're talking about now. This is not uncommon. This is real talk. And this is the reality of what we have right now and what these students are experiencing. What do you think could be helpful on a larger scale? Professional development, what kind of support, like whatever you think, what could be helpful? I think definitely professional development. Um, I think just to help bring not only an awareness to some mm-hmm. of these executive functioning skills, but really an understanding. Um, you know, I think it can be really quick to see that student who's, you know, not launching and getting started and, and walking around the room and going to the bathroom and getting a drink of water. It, it could be very easy to kind of write that off and say, oh, they just don't want to do work. But it's not that simple. Mm-hmm. So I think some, you know, really really good, meaningful professional development, um, maybe on an ongoing basis, you know, sometimes just in isolation isn't quite enough, but to be more consistently working with maybe a coach or something along those lines, Mm -hmm. um, to understand what are these skills, how do they impact kids and and how those behaviors you're seeing 
maybe are really directly connected to those. What are these skills and what's the impact? That's huge. Yeah. So we need to start looking at professional development and learning in a whole new category now, right? Because we've been piloting math programs and reading programs and all these other programs. And yet, how do we get to the content if a child doesn't focus and can't task initiate really? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, finding where do we have the time to explicitly teach what that skill is, what it looks like, what resources or tools can you use to help you out with it? So if we would explicit make time to explicitly teach these skills, something's out of game. What do you see? Like, how do we work that in? How, realistically, how do we how do we make that happen? I know it's it's so tricky. It, and you know, but ultimately, I think trying to prioritize. You know, I think these skills are so so important. You know, we work in a middle school, so I've got forty minute blocks. You know, or right. periods that we're working with. Right. So you know, I don't know that we need a traditional 40 minute class every day, you know, but maybe somehow in there is, you know, a 10 or 15 minute, you know, little kind of check-in, Hey, here's our focus today. Here's what we're going to work on, you know, something that, or, you know, or even on a weekly basis that, okay, Mm -hmm. here's our skill for the week. We're working on this. And to be able to, as a building and as a staff carry that through all of our classrooms, because ultimately it's going to benefit all of us. You know, what I'm hearing really is, and it goes up to some of some of the programs go up to sixth grade, not so much seventh and eighth. It's, it's they're more geared toward younger, but all those really student and teacher intensive workshops that I've been doing, yeah, because right? it's yeah. actually that's what I think that's what we need really is to get training in real time to students so that when the trainer leaves, the teacher has seen it in their classroom and then been able to say, oh, that's what launches, oh. That's what we could say yeah. to focus and kids and everybody gets on the same track in the same, same language, right? Yeah, I think having the same yeah. language is, is huge, you know, and for teachers to understand the, what it is and how it's going to directly impact them, Yeah, you know, and their students. I think that's, that's so important. I mean, I'm sure we've all sat through some PDs where oh, yes. you're sitting there wondering what, why am I here and how is this going to connect to me? Yes. Um, you know, so I, I think being really purposeful and in, in showing students and teachers, here's what this is and here's exactly how it's going to help us. Yeah. Yeah. Why am I here and how does this connect? How does it connect? And if it doesn't connect, we have to either make <laughs> it connect. And if it's just beat a dead horse, then we need to get other content and we need yeah. to really advocate for that. And I think the way that we advocate for that is by having these conversations you know, and really saying is it's teaching was never easy, but it's really, it could be really hard these days. You know, I feel like a lot of times we, we didn't always know what to balance at times, you know, especially if you had a child with significant needs, but now it's children who have significant needs in your one class, you know, in general speaking. Yeah. 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 It definitely is. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's increasing every year and you know, I think like we've said a couple of times, it's just, you know, teachers constantly wanting the best for their students. Yes. And kind of being at this point where, you know, they, we don't know how to always do that anymore because right. there is so much going on. Right. 
are, are teachers starting to look at like, uh, if you're in sixth grade, the fifth graders, like the kids coming up, are teachers starting to look now that it's springtime? We sure are. Yeah. <laughs> starting, you know, starting to have some articulation meetings. We've got some fifth graders coming up to visit. So they get to, you know, sit in a sixth grade classroom and check it out and see what it's like. So mm -hmm. that's always an exciting time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And how does, how do the grades, how do the kids coming up to sixth grade look? Do they look just as needy? Do they look like, you know, we're closing some of that gap that COVID might have contributed toward? How do they look? Yeah, I, you know, I think a little bit of that gap is, is starting to close it with each incoming year. Um, you know, I think there's still some pretty significant needs there in, in the fifth and even the fourth grade. But yeah. I think in looking a little further down, third grade, second grade, I think yeah. you know, there was a lot more of that early structure in place. Right. You know, so I think we're, you know, we're optimistic that maybe we'll see, you know, a little shift in those executive functioning skills. Yeah. Yeah. And the more that we understand the connection between the, the skill and the impact, right, then I think the quicker we can close that gap too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely correct. Just understanding really what it is yes. and, and what we can do to help. <laughs> Michelle, is there anything else you could think of that other teachers or parents, uh, administrators might want to or need to hear about? regarding the classroom today, what it looks like and feels like? Um, you know, I, I think my biggest thing, I'm just, I'm, I'm always trying to encourage, you know, colleagues or administrators to, to be able to see beyond the behaviors. Mm. You know, as a teacher, I mean, I know it's so, you know, easy to, to pass a quick judgment or, you know, something like that, but to understand that, you know, uh, more often than not, a kid, you're not seeing a behavior because that kid is just a bad kid. You're seeing a behavior because there's a need somewhere underlying yeah. that we've got to figure out a way to target and get to. There's a need to target and get to. And what did you call yourself, Little Jiminy Cricket? Yeah, Little Jiminy <laughs> Cricket. <laughs> That's me. Just here to, you know, whisper and coach along the way. <laughs> yes. And if you have to do it and they need it, and it works, then do it. Exactly. No more of this. Well, you need to be walking like a fourth grader does. Like they might not even know that they're not walking online. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Exactly. And that's not helpful. <laughs> no, it's not helpful. It's just very frustrated at that point. <laughs> Michelle, you're wonderful. Thank you so much for helping us to really talk about what a lot of people may not want to talk about so openly but it's what so many educators are really experiencing in the classrooms today. It's how our children and our students are struggling. And if we don't talk about it, then how do we change it? How do we really raise that awareness to advocate for children and those that serve them in a way that really helps them to be able to provide what they need when they need it? So Really, you've truly been such a gem to take out your time from your own kids after a long day of working and just being mom to really just contribute to the lives of others who are listening here today. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts. You're so welcome. I'm so happy to do it. So check out Michelle and some of her information. And maybe I'll throw in that launch tool that she keeps referring to. And uh, you can learn more about how it works. Uh, if you're interested in it. 
Thank you for listening to the Student Success Beyond Expectations podcast, where school leaders, educators, and parents meet on behalf of children who struggle with learning. To bring workshops to your school or organization, contact Child Behavior Consulting and get started with resources available at childbehaviorconsulting.com, Amazon, and teacherspayteachers.com for ready-to-use resources and children's books. If you enjoyed this podcast, remember to review, subscribe, share, and give us a shout out on social media.